reminder that is for you and I that we wouldn't be here this morning worshiping our Savior with purpose if He hadn't paid it all for us. So we are certainly grateful for that. I love the part where it says, when I stand before His throne and Him complete, oh man, what a day that will be. Uh, We're longing and waiting for that day and excited about God uh, calling us home to be with Him. Can't wait for that to happen, but until it does happen... Let us commit to being faithful to him and serving him uh, until he comes again for us. I do want to uh, ask you to uh, pray for and remember a couple of other people uh, as we uh, are missing them this morning. The Staffords are not able to be with us, so uh, pray for them, uh, missing them. Virginia is not here this morning, and um, uh, so you might want to be remembering her in your prayers as well. She loves to get cards. She loves to get texts from you. Uh, So if you would like to encourage her that way, you could do that as well. Um, Speaking of getting in touch with people, I do have a, I don't know, enough, probably a few copies of an updated directory. If you would like it, uh, let Barb know. She can get it to you. If you prefer it electronically, we can email it to you as a PDF, um, and then you'll have it on your device, whichever one you choose to use at the time. Uh, That is beneficial for you as well. Uh, You'll notice some things have changed around here since last week. Um, The most obvious change is that there's an empty tomb back here. Are you happy for the empty tomb? Not necessarily this empty tomb, but what this empty tomb represents, right? The fact that Jesus is not in a tomb. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. And he defeated death, he defeated the grave, and we are so thankful and we are looking forward to the opportunities in the coming weeks that we will have to celebrate his resurrection from the dead and all that accompanies his resurrection, the promise of his return to take us home to be with him. What a glorious day that will be. Man, that's going to bring about my favorite Bible verse, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. When we see him, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Hallelujah for that. Um, another change that is kind of uh, in process right now is um, if you're looking for a library book, no longer look in this room, okay? The library has been relocated. Part of the reason for that is because we, uh, you know, we had the flood um, and we lost some books in the flood. But as a result of people's generous donations of books, we now have more books than we can house uh, in this room. Uh, So we had to move the library to a bigger room and make more shelves. We're still in the process of making more shelves, so there's still about six or seven boxes of books that need to be unpacked. Uh, So the request for right now is if you're looking for library books, that you take the library books that are on the parking lot wall, okay? Uh, There's a book there. You can write down what you took. The other books, uh, we're still trying to work through and get things organized there. There will also be some books that we are asking that you not take from the building, uh, but if you want to use for research or study purposes, uh, you'll be able to use that room. Come, and if, it's come, if you want to come when there's not a service, let me know. We'll get you in. You can study. You can uh, use that facility. And then, um, you know, we keep the books here because they've been donated for that purpose. All right, so we're excited about the things that God continues to do, and it looks like we've recovered mostly from the daylight savings time bug. Um, it's good to have, I'll welcome you now. It's good to have everybody with us this morning. Thanks for joining us, and we're looking forward to a great time in God's Word today. So take your Bibles, if you will. Um, 
in preparation for our time together in the Word, you can open them to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to do a few things before we get to that passage of Scripture. But you'll notice the title of the message this morning is called, Come What May. Have you ever felt like, okay, whatever's going to come, God, just bring it, because you and I together, we can handle it. You know, we can't handle the situations of life in our own strength, but aren't you glad that there's nothing that can happen in this life that God and I can't handle together with the emphasis on God? Not, not, not so much on me. Well, uh, I'm sure you've heard the words to that old Doris Day song. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. Um, we've kind of shortened that in our current uh, culture and just changed it to whatever. Okay? Something happens and what's the response? Whatever. Okay? It doesn't really matter. It's going to happen, so let it happen. Whatever will be, will be is another way um, that we kind of just, you know, does it really matter? Well, you know what? That's not really part of the vernacular of those who are trusting God, right? Because God is sovereign. God is in control. And it's not whatever. It is, okay, God, thank you for leading us to this and helping us make it through whatever the struggle is. So let me be quick to say that que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, is not great theology, Okay? In fact, it's actually pretty bad theology. The good news is that as we have been learning from Peter, he calls us to submit to the sovereignty of God. He calls us to submit to the various roles we find ourselves in and in life no matter what. And he reminds us that God is indeed in control. God is sovereign, and life is not a by chance, whatever happens set of circumstances that we just kind of roll through. Instead, the days of our lives have been numbered, and the course of our days has been planned by our Lord and Savior, and our goal as a result of that is to glorify Him. The psalmist wrote these words in Psalm 139, verses 14 through 16, kind of help us frame our thoughts for this morning. He says, I praise you. Why? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. So he's saying, in your book, O God, in your sovereign plan, every act of mine was written in your book. When? Before I even knew it, they were written when you formed me, when as they were yet none of them. These words, along with other truths from the Jewish scriptures, help us to understand the reality that the things that happen in life don't just happen by chance or by circumstance. They are purposeful and they are part of God's plan for us. So having this kind of mindset helps us carry out the commands and challenges that Peter has laid out for us in the previous chapters. You know, the ones that we've been studying in chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3. Now, as Peter moves on into our text this morning, we're going to see that no matter what comes our way, God is at work and we have nothing to fear. There's nothing that you and I as the children of God have to fear about. He wants us to understand that. He wants us to know that. And the reason that we don't fear is because we know God is in control. God is sovereign. No matter what happens, we can move forward trusting that God will work his way out in our lives. In fact, 
We can actually be at peace in the midst of turmoil. And you know, I've been noticing that about the situation in Ukraine. Have you been noticing that? As we hear about Ukrainian believers gathering together. You know, we get to gather this morning in a beautiful building that's, that's fairly new. And we praise God for that building. And we want to use that building for his honor and for his glory. But you know what? The Ukrainians, many of them are meeting in subway tunnels today with bombs going off around them above ground. And, and you know what? They're still rejoicing. They're still trusting God. They're still moving forward for his honor and for his glory. And they're asking us to pray for, their, for their, the people who are attacking them. Isn't that amazing? You know why they can do that? Because they're at peace. Because they know God is in control. In spite of what's going on in their circumstances and in their situations. And Peter says, you and I, we can be at peace. We don't have to be troubled over the struggles that we encounter in life. There's a song that kept popping into my head as I was preparing this message for today. In fact, I listened to it several times as I was preparing the sermon. So I want to play it for you this morning. Now, I know Facebook listeners and watchers and YouTube watchers, you're going to get muted during this time when we play this song. But the, the, the title of the song is going to come up on the screen. It's a song called Come What May by We Are Messengers. So if you want to take this time now to go, click on the link that Barb hopefully is posting at Facebook. You can click on that link and you can listen to the song while we're listening to it. And then you can come back to it. Um, so Come What May by We Are Messengers. Just a reminder to us that, you know what, we can, we can trust the Lord for whatever's happening in our lives. Go ahead, Timothy, and play that for us if you would.
Did you catch the opening lines to that song? Sometimes sorrow is the door to peace. Sometimes heartaches is the gift I need. Often we despise those things, don't we? We don't want the sorrow to come to our life. We don't want the heartache to be real in our lives. But sometimes God uses those things in our lives. And it's not a case, sirrah, sirrah. It's a, it's, it's a come what may, then I rest in the arms of Jesus. I love the chorus. It says, in every high and in every low, on mountaintops, down broken roads, I will rest in the arms of Jesus. Come what may, no matter what comes, I can rest in the arms of my Savior. Come what may. Let's stand together and read our text for this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. It's on the screen, so let's read together, if you would, with me. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Thank you for reading with me together. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time as we open his word this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you for the comfort that we have in knowing that you are the sovereign God. You are not just the creator of the universe, but you are the sustainer of the universe. You keep everything going in our lives. And Father, you even know when we are going through difficult times. In fact, you ordained those difficult times to bring us closer to you, to make us more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, to become better witnesses, better communicators of the good news of Jesus Christ. So Father, as difficult as it is, we we want to thank you for those difficult times that come our way because you've promised to never leave us, to never forsake us, but to always be with us. This morning, as we look at these words from the pen of the apostle Peter, um, help us to put them into practice in our life. Help them not to just be something that we hear and say, okay, that was a good message, but help us to actually implement them into our lives and to move forward practicing them regularly throughout this week and the weeks and months and years to come. Father, thanks for our savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So let me remind you this morning as we look at our first uh, point this morning, that that of the blessing of being in the living stone. You and I are in the living stone. We, we, we've studied that for now a couple of weeks. And, and all that Peter is saying is in relationship to the fact that we are born again. We are children of God. We are in the living stone. We, in fact, live 
in the living stone. Go back to 1 Peter chapter um, 2, verses 4 through 5 for a moment, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, as we set the context for this morning. As you come to him, Peter writes, a living stone. The him there in the living stone there are none other than Jesus Christ. As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter knew what he was asking his readers and the followers of Jesus to do was a big ask. He knew that it wasn't going to be easier, easy, and, and neither was it going to necessarily be the popular thing to do, but... He knew that it was the right thing to do. He's moving from the call to submit that we've looked at following those verses there in chapter 2 all the way to where we were last week. He's moving from those calls to submit uh, to, to the mindset and the facts that you and I can rely on as we willingly obey and submit to the authorities that he is asking us and challenging and even commanding us to submit to. So as we move into our text this morning, verses 13 through 17, I want us to see, first of all, the believer's safety. You and I as a believer, you know, uh, it's when, a, when a, Nick Walenda, you know who he is, right? He's the guy who likes to go walk on high wires across Grand, the Grand Canyon and Niagara Falls and all those crazy things. And we look at him and we watch him do those things and we say, man, he's crazy because a lot of times he does it without a net, right? You and I as Christians, we have a safety net. You know who that safety net is? It's God. It's the promises of God. It's the fact that he told us we will be safe. Now, he didn't say that we wouldn't have struggles or trials or that we might even die in this life. He never said that. But he said we would be safe. And you know what the safety is? You know what the net is? That even if we die, we're better off. Now, I'm not encouraging anybody to go out and do anything stupid, okay? But even if we die in our service to the Lord as we are obeying him and submitting in the areas he's called us to submit, even if we should die because of the persecution we might face, it's okay. In fact, it's better because where are we going? We're going to heaven. And who's waiting there for us? You remember the account of Stephen when he was stoned to death for what he believed and, and for preaching on the day, uh, you know, shortly after Pentecost at the early church was getting started? He was preaching and he preached a message that they didn't like and he actually said, hey, you guys put to death the Son of God and that pricked them in their hearts and they began to stone him with stones and as he was dying, he looked up into heaven and what was Jesus doing? He was welcoming him, but he was standing up. He stood up to welcome uh, Stephen into his presence. That's a picture for us. You see, when you went into a Jewish home, uh, and maybe even so today, I know we did it in South Africa, when, when you walked into somebody's home, they didn't just sit in their easy chair, no reference to Paul here, um, and say, come on in. As soon as they... Of course, you couldn't get in because they had to unlock the, the, the bars that were on the door and all that kind of stuff. But, but anyway, they would get up and they would welcome you into their home. Welcome. Thanks for coming. I'm so glad you're here. Jesus stood up, 
from his right-hand throne of the Father where he was seated. Scripture tells us when he ascended into high, in high, he sat down at the Father's throne because that was his rightful place. But when Stephen was dying, he stood up and he said, Welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my child. Is there anything more comforting than knowing that the Savior is waiting to welcome us into his presence and he will stand to welcome us? Wow. So Peter says, we have safety. As a child of God, no matter what's going on in your life, we have safety. And our safety and our protection does not rest in our own ability. And and when we are doing what is right, there's a key for us, when we are doing what is right, we know that we are in God's hands, and no matter what, His will be done in our lives. It will be done, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. Some then would say, well, we should simply trust God and whatever will be, will be. Well, remember, that's bad theology, okay? God doesn't call us to a whatever will be, will be lifestyle. Here's something to consider. The Bible never calls us to sit back and do nothing, okay? The Bible never calls us as the followers of Christ or the followers of God to sit back and do nothing, That's true when it comes to reaching out and giving the good news of salvation. You know, we have a Calvinist bent, and don't hate us for that because it's a scriptural teaching here at our church. We believe that God calls people and that he will save people, but that does not relieve us from our responsibilities. We are still to communicate the good news of Christ to those God brings into our lives and across our paths. So we believe that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility to give out the good news of salvation. God calls for our involvement in the area of spreading the gospel. It's also true in the area of being wise in how we carry out our life in the everyday living. God calls for us to take steps that are necessary for us in the world we live in. I remember when we moved first, uh, we, we used to live in Orange County before we came here to Preble, and we lived not too far from Newburgh, New York. Now, if you know anything about Newburgh, it's famous for being the bad place in the, in the cop TV shows. So-and-so died in Newburgh. So-and-so, you know, Okay, that's what Newburgh is known for. So I was getting ready to go visit somebody. I told somebody, I made an announcement in church, hey, I'm going to go visit so-and-so in the hospital. And several people came up to me after church, pastor, be very careful when you go down there. That's the worst part of Newburgh. And I thought to myself, yeah, but you've never been to South Africa. You've never been to Cape Town. Okay, Cape Town was pretty bad in some places. I mean, we had, we, it wasn't a strange thing to hear gunfire go off around our house in South Africa. One time, we were, kids had just gotten back from youth group, and they were going to spend the night in the lounge, in the living room, if you will, um, and Barb and I were getting ready for bed, and all of a sudden, you're bang, bang, and Barb says, is that what I think it was? I said, yeah, that's what you think it was, um, and so I said, just get low, because you know, the, the, one of the benefits of living in South Africa was that everything was made out of concrete, okay, so things kind of stop when they hit, in a, hit a concrete wall, right? So I, I, said, I said, you stay low, and I kind of got low, and I crawled out into the, uh, the living room where Josh and Micah were, and I said, hey, stay below the window levels. Because, I mean, this was right outside our house. 
stay below the window levels. And, and I'm going to find Rachel. Meanwhile, I'm staying behind walls and so on. Not, not drywall walls, but concrete walls. I'm staying behind walls and, and, I, and I see Rachel. She's got her headphones on. She's walking down the hall. And I'm like, get down. Get down. And finally she gets down and takes her earphones and says, there's gunfire outside. Oh, so Newburgh was not so bad sometimes, okay? So, but you know what? We are safe in the hands of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't take necessary precautions, that we don't act in self-defense, we don't prepare ourselves to defend ourselves. The Bible never forbids self-defense. In fact, the followers of Jesus have every right to defend themselves, protect themselves, and their families. However, just because we have that right does not necessarily mean that we do so in every situation. We ask God for wisdom. We trust God to give us wisdom as we live out everyday life. I mean, James says that in, in his, his opening words. He says we're to ask for, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and does not abrade you for asking. We need the wisdom of God in everyday life. Y'all know that I carry a friend on my side everywhere I go, right? It's no big deal. Does that mean I don't trust God? Absolutely not. But I trust God to give me wisdom when to use it and when not to use it, or if to use it. You see, we are never, in fact, Jesus said to his followers at one point, he says, if you don't have a sword, go buy one. Okay, so he's not against self-defense. He wants us to be wise, though. He wants us to use his wisdom and ask for his wisdom. So uh, even though we have this safety that God has promised to us, he wants us to respond godly in every situation. And that's what Peter is talking about here. We have this safety that God has promised to us, and we are to use the wisdom of God in everyday life. Now, as he unfolds this passage of scripture here in verse 13, he talks about the likelihood of Christ followers the likelihood. What are you and I as followers of Christ likely to face in everyday life? The question here that he poses in verse 13 when he writes, um, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? That's really a, a rhetorical question. When those who are in Christ are practicing and doing good as we are commanded to do, there is not much of a chance that bad things will happen to us while we do good. But notice how Peter worded the question. Who will harm you if you become followers of good? The who will if phrasing of this question suggests that we can expect protection, but it may not always be afforded to us. In other words, we may find ourselves in difficult situations. Even those in the world uh, appreciate when we do good. Uh, you know, if we're doing good, uh, let's say we're on the job site. Okay, and we're doing good. I remember when I worked, I worked in high school at a place called Phase Drugs. You might remember that in Messina. And we had truck night. I think truck night most of the time was on Tuesday nights, unless there was a holiday. And everybody was scheduled to work truck night because we would get 20, 25 pallets of stuff in for truck night. And, and what we had to do is we had to unload the truck and then we had to get everything ready to go out on the floor. 
Okay? So there was one night, I was early on the job, um, and we had this big pallet of, I think it was oil. Phase drugs, we used to buy oil. In fact, you know, we used to have dealerships that would say, hey, when your oil goes on sale, let us know, and you can order uh, an extra, extra pallet for us, and we'll buy it from you. That was great. Um, but anyway, we had to case cut the oil. Now, in those days, oil came in cardboard containers. Remember those days? So if you cut too, too deep into the car, cardboard, what happened? You cut into the oil. Okay, so there was a technique that we could use, but it, you had to actually physically manhandle the car, every case of oil. Turn it on the side, bang the side of it, cut, run down the razor knife, turn it over, bang the side, and just cut around, and you created enough space that your razor knife wouldn't hit, and you could cut it. But it was a hard job to case cut the oil and get it ready for display. So one of my coworkers is over there working on the oil, and the, the manager says, hey, Tim, don't just stand there. Go help him. I mean, I wasn't standing there doing nothing. I was, but he says, go help him. That's heavy stuff. That's hard. So we help. And you know what? When you help one another, whether you're saved or unsaved, they appreciate your help. They appreciate your assistance. They appreciate you coming alongside and helping them out. So when you are doing good, when you are helping one another in the world in which we live, the world appreciates that. And most of the time, if you do what is good based on what God says is good, People will appreciate that, and people will not be out to get you for doing what is good. Think, think about this whole Ukraine situation and how so many countries around the world are stepping up and helping the Ukrainians. And what do we hear on the news? And it doesn't matter which news channel you watch. Everybody is extolling the goodness that is being bestowed upon the Ukrainians. Well done, such and such a country. Nice for this organization to step up and help. Everybody is saying it's good to do good. So as Christians, that should be our manner of life, to do what is good and to do what is right. And Peter says, when you are doing what is good, as followers of the living stone, you're doing what the living stone would do, people appreciate that. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we were never promised life without struggles or trouble. We were never promised uh, that everything would be fine even if we do what is right all the time. Suffering is a very real possibility for the followers of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? He said, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Jesus only did what was good. Never, Jesus never did anything that was bad or wrong or or. Or, or mean or evil. He only did what was good. And what ended up with Jesus? They put him to death for his good works. It's always comforting to know, though, that the best bookkeeper there is is keeping the books on our behalf. So as we do good, God notices it, God keeps track of it, and God will reward that good behavior as long as that good behavior is accompanied with the right motives, okay? So, that, so you and I, as believers, that's our likelihood. We're probably going to enjoy the, the benefits of our, the good that we do, but we might not always. He goes on and he talks not only about the likelihood for believers, but he talks about the lifestyle of believers. There are times that when we do what is right, and we will end up suffering. 
That's just the facts of life. That's just the way it is. We can do the right thing with the right motives and we may still suffer as a result of it. But here's our goal as believers. It's to be zealous for what is good. In fact, that's the way some translations translate that phrase. To be zealous for what is good. Eager to do the right thing. But sometimes doing the right things cause us to suffer. And when we suffer for doing what is good, you know what that's called? That's called suffering for righteousness' sake. Okay? There's good news, though, for those that are obedient. Peter says that when we do suffer for doing good, we will be blessed. Why? Because of the bookkeeper. Because of the one who is keeping records of the good that we do. He will bless us. Peter repeats this promise over in chapter 5 where he says, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. That's the promised blessing from God for doing what is good and what is right. John MacArthur puts uh, this comment on that verse there in chapter 5, verse 10. He says, Likewise, faithful Christians today should not be surprised or afraid if such suffering comes because that becomes a means by which they are blessed. You see, when we suffer for doing what is good and right, God will bless us for that suffering. Well, how's the blessing? What's the blessing look like? Peter tells us, he says that Christ the one who saves us will do these things. He says, he will perfect us. Hmm, that's a pretty good blessing. And what does it mean though to be perfect? It doesn't mean to be without without sin. Here's the idea. It's kind of like uh, putting on the finishing touches. We painted this thing a couple times because we didn't quite like the way it looked. So we had to keep working with it to get the finishing touches on it. When we finally liked what it looked like, we said, okay, let's put it up there. Let's put it in place. You see, the literal understanding of this phrase is to make perfect. And according to Strong's, to make perfect means it's suitable such as one should be. It's deficient in no way. Wow. Deficient in no way. Our Savior Part of his blessing to us will make us so that we are not deficient in any way. Stop and think about that. The creator. Now, we often are amazed at the handiwork of God, aren't we? I mean, yes, we don't want a foot of snow in March. But you know what? It sure looks beautiful. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. Now, it might not be so pretty from the behind, behind the snowplow, um, but as we look out in our backyard or we look out up into the hills that surround our church, man, that is so awesome. That is so amazing. God has just blessed us to live in such a lovely area, such a wonderful place. Perfect looking. The God who created all of that makes us perfect, makes us so that we are deficient in no way. He confirms us. Well, what does that word mean? It's not like going through confirmation classes. The word confirm here, it means to set fast. To set fast. When I was in college, I used to work for a doctor that had horses, and he had seven acres, lived just outside of the town limits. 
and he had this horse farm that my roommate and I worked on. And part of our job was to make sure that the fences were always intact. Because these, these ho- horses, they were show horses. They weren't work horses. Okay? You could walk into their house and you would see trophies and ribbons and all that kind of stuff from the, the things that their, that their daughter had done while showing these horses and riding these horses. They were expensive horses. They were impressive horses. Okay? And he didn't want them getting out into somebody else's property or running in the road and getting hit by a car. So part of our job was to make sure that the fences were always intact and there were no gaps in the fences. Sometimes we had to fix the fence posts. So we would get the bag of concrete and we would mix it up and, and then we would take the fence post and we would, we would, after we mixed up all the cement and dumped it in the hole, we would set the post in there and we'd get the level out and we'd make sure it was straight and not sitting crooked or skew. Uh, that was part of our job. And within a couple of hours after putting that fence post in the concrete, you know what? It stayed. When you fix the fence post the right way, bud, they stay where they're supposed to stay, don't they? Yeah. So we would put these fence posts in, and then we would, we would wait. I mean, we'd do other things while we were waiting for it to set up. But then we'd go back, and we'd try to wiggle it, and it wasn't going anywhere. And it was sure, and it was fast. It was staying where it was supposed to stay. Even if the horse ran into it, it probably was at least one or tw- once or twice. It probably was going to stay where it was supposed to stay. We were proud of the work. And job well done. Pat ourselves on the back. Those fence posts stood firm. They were confirmed, if you will. Our relationship with the Father through the Son has been confirmed. Paul expresses this confidence over in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. You've heard me quote this verse many times before as well. It says there, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to pass until the day of Jesus Christ. This confirmation, this work being confirmed is not on it's not confirmed by the things that I do. It's confirmed by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's a blessing that you and I have when we do what is right. Peter goes on to say, not only will he perfect you and confirm you, but he will strengthen you. You'll notice that all these words sound very similar uh, in what they will accomplish in our life. Now, this word strengthen here, it's the only time this word is used in the New Testament. It's the opposite of being sick. It's the opposite of being weak or being infirmed. Now, we know all about these days, about the opposite of being sick, right? Because of this pandemic that we have been dealing with. Um, In these days of COVID, many people are taking steps to boost their immunity. Barb and I have started taking a couple of months ago an immune booster. And you know what? We can't find it all the time on the shelves, because other people are doing the same thing. You say, wow, you're afraid of COVID? No. It just makes sense to use the things that God has made available to us to try and keep ourselves healthy. Okay? When COVID is all said and done with, we're probably going to still take the immune booster. Why? Because it makes sense. We had a friend who had COVID, and, and he said, hey, we're going to the store. Can we get you anything? And they sent a list of things, and on the list was a, a, a tea that is an immune booster. We looked and looked and looked, and it was out of stock. And we asked, hey, where's this? Oh, we haven't had it for weeks now. It's there now, by the way. Um, So anyway, uh, people are used to trying to do things to make yourself not so weak. Why do people go to the gym and work out? Because they don't want to be weak. They want to be healthy. 
They want to do what they can do to help make themselves healthy. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and, and as a child of God, one of the promises, one of the blessings for us is that we will be strengthened. We don't have to be weak. Now, those immune boosters, the vitamins that we take, the tea that we drink, it may or may not help. It's a hit or miss kind of a thing. But what Peter says we are promised from God is a sure thing. He will strengthen us. Let me say that again. He will strengthen us. We can count on it. We don't have to say, well, I wonder if God will strengthen me. Yes! When you're doing what is right, when you're doing what is good, when you are obeying him, he will strengthen you. And then the last blessing is that he will establish you. This word is used when we're talking about laying a foundation. A foundation is one of the most important parts of a building, right, Nick? If you don't lay the foundation right, you're going to have problems. When you buy a house, what is one of the things you want to look at before you buy the house? Is the foundation intact? Is it sure? Because if it's broken down, (laughs) you're going to have problems. You're going to have to spend a lot of money to fix it. And who wants to do that when you can just go find a different house that has a better foundation? You see, you and I are established on a foundation. And you know what that foundation is? Jesus Christ. And you know what? As we build upon that foundation, we build with good works. Remember, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, God, we were created for good works that God ordained beforehand that we should walk in them, not for salvation, but to show others that we are indeed children of God. The foundation is so important. When you and I are living life the way God intended, a life of obedience, a life of faith, a life even of submission, When we are living that way, we are building on the firm foundation and can be certain that if we remain committed to the word of God and we continue to live life based on what the word tells us, we will indeed be established and we will be able to stand against the winds and storms that will threaten us. Would you agree with me that Peter nailed it when he said we are blessed? We certainly are blessed people. Well, let's move on into our text a little bit further, and we see the believer's security. Not only do we have safety, but we have security. These two ideas of safety and security, they go together in many ways. It's, it's that way in life, as you and I are living in the living stone as well. Not only do we find safety as the child of God when we are committed to doing good, but when the commitment leads us into harm's way, there's a promise that God will keep us secure even if mistreatment comes our way. Peter put it this way, he says, and do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12. The last part of that verse says, do not fear what they fear nor be in dread. The context here in this passage of Isaiah indicates that we should not fear man, but we should fear God. Listen to verses 13 and 14 of Isaiah chapter 8. But the Lord of hosts, whom you shall honor as holy, let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to the house of Israel. 
You see, when you and I are doing what is right before God, there's nothing to fear for the child of God. Now, remember the context of 1 Peter? He's talking about obeying and submitting to all kinds of authority that God has put into place in our lives. That authority comes in different forms. He started out by talking about submitting to the authorities in that be the governmental authorities. Then he moved to submitting to the authorities in the workplace. And then he moved to submitting to authorities in home. And then he said, in case I forgot anything, submit to one another. Submit to everyone. We shouldn't be so concerned about our rights We should be willing to submit to others and serve others and put others' well-being ahead of our own. The reason you and I do not fear is because we know what awaits us, eternal life in heaven with our great God. So we can submit and not be in fear of the outcome of that. So Peter talks about this idea of the blessing of living in the living stone. And then he moves on in verses 15 through 17. Very familiar verse of scripture there in verse 17. But he's talking now about the better way. You and I as Christians, we have a better way. In spite of the assurances we have from Peter, there is a tendency and possibly a fear that creeps into the mind of the child of God. So Peter has a solution to how to deal with that fear. It's found in this well-known verse of chapter 3, a verse that we often use to challenge people to become more familiar with the Bible and with biblical truth. Because we say it around here, the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. Let's read, I'm going to ask you to read it again, you don't have to stand up, but let's read together from your copy of the scriptures what verse 15 says in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Read it with me. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. This, my friends, is the better way because God's way is always the better way. What is the better way that Peter's talking about? Well, he's he's talking about, first of all, uh, a dedicated heart. If we're going to have a better way, we need to have a dedicated heart. The better way happens when we are prepared. The first part of being prepared is setting apart your heart. Peter says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Let's understand here that the heart is not the blood excuse me, the blood pumping organ in our chest. But Peter is talking about the place where we make our decisions. Peter is talking about the seat of our emotions, if you will. It's a decision that we must make uh, before we face the difficulties in life. Our hearts must be dedicated, must be set apart to honor the Lord and to follow his words. You see, if we make that decision before we're in the heat of battle, when we get into the heat of battle, we'll be able better to stick with that decision to do what is right and to do what is good. This decision is a decision that is fostered by reading and studying and applying his word to our lives. You know, you and I, we often know the right thing to do, but if we're honest, there are times when we decide to do something different than what the word says. If we're honest, I mean, none of us are perfect. So sometimes we choose 
to do what the word is op- the opposite of what the word says. If we are going to live the better way, we must fight the Frank Sinatra syndrome. Some of you got that, right? I did it my way. Yeah? I hear that every time after a Yankees game. I did it my way. My way. You see, Frank Sinatra's way is not the right way. The I did it my way desire of life is what Satan wants us to follow. He makes it look so good. He he convinces us sometimes in our mind that my way is the right way. My way is the best way. My way or the highway. No, it's not. It's God's way is the best way. And God's way calls us to put others first. God's way calls us to take a step back, look at the situation, and choose to do what is best. I know we don't like the idea, but Peter spent a lot of time talking about this whole thing of submission. God's way is a way of submission. Not one of us are going to stand before God and say, I did it my way. Because if we do, you know what he's going to say to us? Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. We must do it God's way. God's way is the better way. And God's way is a way of submission. We must submit our life, our will to the Father. Shouldn't be surprising. Because that's what Jesus said. I came to do the will of my Father who sent me. Even the Son of God submitted his will to his Father's will. So when God says submit to these different authorities that he has placed in our lives, let's not fight it again unless they ask us to sin. If they ask us to sin, then we stand up and come what may. We stand for what is right and what is true, and we always do that. The best way. When our way contradicts the Bible way or God's way, we need to submit to his ways. You know that well, that very famous passage of scripture in Proverbs chapter 3. Anybody want to quote it for us? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Okay, you don't want to quote it, say it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. A way to simplify that verse is submit to the ways of God and do things God's way, and he will direct your path. That's the decided heart. Peter also talks about the fact that we must have a decided defense or that we do have a a decided defense. What is it that makes a good defense attorney, if you think about it? Hopefully we never need one, but if you needed a good defense attorney, what would you want that person to do beforehand? You'd want them to prepare. You'd want them to be ready to give your defense. You want one who is not flying by the seat of their pants in the courtroom trying to figure things out as the drama unfolds inside that courtroom. You want them to be ready and able to answer every question that's going to be posed. You see, to be prepared, you and I, Peter says, be ready always to give a defense. You and I, we need to be prepared. How are we going to be prepared? Well, we must be students of the book. 
And I don't just mean mere students, but we must live by the book. Remember the Fronel Project? That's one way of living by the book. If I have God's word hidden in my heart, thy word have I hid in my heart. That means you memorize it. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against God. You see, you and I, we need to be learning the book, studying the book, rightly interpreting the book, and living by the book. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, the young pastor? He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's hard to make a defense if you've not thought about it or planned for it. We need to be reading and living by the book. We need to be living out God's word so that our lives are transformed by the word of God. The book, the more, you know, the more we study the book, the better we know the book, the better we'll be able to stand on the promises of the book. There's a song in our hymn book. We sing it from time to time. It's called Standing on the Promises. Listen to the words of verse two of that hymn. Standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God, I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. We stand, my friends, on this book. And if we're going to stand on this book, we better make sure we're reading it, studying it, and rightly dividing the word of truth. There's so many people out there that aren't rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's make sure that we are rightly dividing it. The importance of, God, of the word of God can never be overstated. Would you agree with me on that? God's word is absolutely important and authoritative. Well, we're running out of time. Uh, a, a discerning conscience. Peter says, we must have a good conscience isn't it great when we know our conscience is clean or clear? When our conscience is clear, no matter what others say about us, we can stand confident knowing that what we have done is right. You see, Peter gives us the key to a clear conscience. Our conscience is not clear because of our feelings or because of our own wisdom. Our conscience can only be clear when we live the way God has called us to live. When we live our lives based on the word of God, we can stand. And as Jude says, having done all to stand. We can stand on the word of God knowing that our conscience then is clear, provided we're living it out. Micah, you know, Micah's in the National Guard and he, he doesn't want to get the vaccine. So he has applied for a religious exemption. And he went to the chaplain there where he's now stationed in, in Colorado and he had a conversation with his chaplain. He filled out everything he needed to fill out. And the conversation uh, ended with this conclusion. The chaplain said, Micah, I think you have the best case of a religious exemption for most people that I've ever worked with. He said, because from my conversation with you and from observing your life, you live what you say. <laughs> you know what? That made this dad proud. But beyond that, he, he says, I don't... I don't do drugs, I don't smoke, I don't do all these things, I don't put these other foreign things in my body, so when this new foreign thing is told I have to put it in my body, I don't want to put that in my body either, he has something to stand on. 
because he believes his body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. To God be the glory. Praise the Lord for that kind of a lifestyle that backs up what you say. When your conscience is clear, you have nothing to be ashamed of because you're standing on the truth of God's word, the very foundation for living for the child of God. And I'll use this word, finally. Finally, we have the determined outcome. You see, the last verse in our text this morning contains the statement, if it is the will of God. Here's where we find the better way. Peter literally says, it is better for us to suffer for doing what is right before God than it is to suffer for doing evil. Peter's already discussed this concept uh, in the previous verses. If you do wrong and suffer, so be it. You pay the consequences. It's what You get what you deserve. Okay, But if you're doing what is right, as God would have you to do, if you're submitting to the authorities around you and that God has placed in your life, and you suffer for doing what is right, this is better for you. This is good for you. Peter tells us how we can be certain that we are in the will of God. Anybody want to know that? Have we not been searching over and over and day in and day out to find the will of God for our lives? I, I, I tell people, that's not really that hard to figure out. If we're reading the word, there's a lot of verses in here that says, and this is the will of God for you. If you're doing those things that says this is the will of God, give thanks in everything. Love your brother. Love your, if you're doing the things that God has outlined in the pages of this book that says this is my will for you, then your life is going to be figured out for you as you submit to the will of God. But, but Peter says, this is the will of God for you. What is the will of God for you? Well, that we obey, that we submit to the will of God for our lives. It, a lot of people make this a mysterious thing. It's not really that mysterious. It's great to know that you and I can know God's will and we can do God's will and that we do that by submitting to the scriptures and trust God to work out the details. No one likes to suffer, right? I mean, I told people when I, I was talking to the sheriff, uh, Sheriff Helms yesterday, um, you know, I had COVID. We both had COVID not too long ago, but it wasn't that bad. But you know what? I'm not raising my hand to get it again. I'm not volunteering to say, hey, can I have it a third time? I'm okay not getting it again. No one likes to be sick. No one likes to suffer. But how comforting it is to know that our suffering is only temporary, especially when we keep eternity in mind. And when we do what is right, even if we have to suffer because of it, we know that God's blessing is ours. Difficult times are sure to come. And let's make sure that we're not causing the difficulties by sinful conduct, but rather let us determine in our hearts to do what is good and to do what is right. You and I can be certain that God will honor those choices because he says he will, and God will bless our obedience to his commands because he says he will. And even when those trials and troubles come our way, as long as we are living obediently, as long as we have a good conscience, we can be certain of the protection and the promises of God. What are the promises? Promises to restore, promises to confirm, promises to strengthen, promises to establish us. 
How blessed we are as those who are in the living stone. The blessings that are ours are just amazing. In fact, we can actually call them awesome. What great blessings that await the child of God. Let's close in prayer and ask God to help us to live his way, come what may. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these words this morning. As we've been talking about this whole idea of submission and who we're supposed to submit to, and we battle with that sometimes because it's against our nature, it goes against our grain. But then we're reminded of our Savior who submitted, submitted all the way to the point of death so that we might have life. Father, we are thankful for the promises that are ours through the pages of Scripture. We ask, Lord, that you'd help us to live in light of those promises and to live by obeying the commands that Peter has been giving to us. But this morning now, we've been reminded of the great outcome of that submission that we have a testimony, that we have a good conscience, that we can stand before God knowing that we have done what is right before him as we submit to those he has placed in our lives in authority. Father, help us to have your wisdom. We talked about that as well. We need the wisdom that is from above, wisdom that is first peaceable, wisdom that looks out for others' well-being. Help us, Father, to honor you with those kind of lifestyle choices today and in the weeks and months and even years to come as you tarry. Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace and for your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.